Open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 5. We're in this series on the life of Moses. Hope you're enjoying the journey with Moses. Justin took a, a, a Sunday last Sunday. Didn't Justin do a great job last Sunday morning? You appreciate Justin and all that he did. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last Sunday's message, I encourage you to get on the app and listen through it. He talked about what it means to have faith that prays boldly and believes God for some big things, and he did a, he did a great job. And so we're picking up where we've left off with Moses. We started a few weeks ago uh, that God's people, the Israelites, had been in slavery for 400 years. And that was a problem because they weren't in their destiny. They weren't in the promised land. And so the people began to cry out to God. And God says, I hear your cries. I'm concerned about your situation. I, I, I have empathy for your suffering. And I'm coming down to do something about it. And everybody's like, hallelujah, do it, Lord. And then he says in Exodus 3, verse 10, so I pick you, Moses, he picks an 80-year-old man, a sheep herder in obscurity, through a burning bush, a bush ignites with fire. And we talked about how God calls us and he ignites a fire in our heart that doesn't need us for fuel. Because the miracle of that burning bush isn't that the bush wasn't consumed by the fire, it's that the fire didn't need that bush for fuel. And that's why it doesn't matter if God picks anyone to accomplish anything at any time. Because it's not about the person carrying it. It's about the fire lit inside. And that was Exodus chapter 3. And Moses struggled with the vision God had given him for what he wanted to do. God's like, I got something for you to do. And Moses, I'm not really interested in doing it. And God's like, I got something for you to do. And Moses offered up a, we called it a four-layered excuse cake. Remember that Sunday? He had all kinds of reasons why he wasn't the right pick to be drafted into this party of the story. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not whatever enough. And he says at the end, God, just find someone else to do it. And God's response is, Moses, when you lead the people and when they worship me out in the desert. Notice God just kind of plows right on through the excuses. He listens. He doesn't just not tune into what Moses is going through, but he just says, hey, Moses, uh, really wasn't intended to be much of a dialogue here. I've called you into this. I've lit the fire in your heart. It's not dependent on you. So as you're leading the people out, so Moses, you can try to resign. Here's a good indication that God's nudging you to do something when you can't not step into it, when there's a fire burning deep inside and you, you can't relinquish it. You just can't lay it down. And Moses, you can try to resign, but you're really not gonna be able to resign because that fire is gonna burn white hot. And so at the end of chapter four, God says to Moses, okay, I understand that you're really struggling with your speech impediment, believed to be a stuttering issue. He allows him to draft in some help. And so he allows him to bring in Aaron, a young whippersnapper at age 83. 83-year-old Aaron joins 80-year-old Moses. Now there's your first round draft picks, right, to get something done in the kingdom. So hallelujah. There's your vision for God's picture of retirement, which really isn't in the scriptures. A better word than retirement is transition. You, know, you may transition out of your, you know, your professional working life, there may be transitions, but really the concept of retirement with God is you're going to work and use your one and only life and the gifts he's given you and the life he's given you and the passions he's given you, you're going you're to do it all the way to the end. And so 83-year-old Aaron, I got something for you to do with 80-year-old Moses. And so he allows him to be a team and he's going to let Aaron speak at different points on behalf of Moses to get this story moving. And so they come to chapter 5, we pick it up today, chapter 5 verse 1, they eventually stand before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they're delivering the message that God has given them to deliver. And let's see what happens here. Chapter 5 verse 1, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, 
let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now I can picture inside of Moses going, exactly, like this is exactly how I envisioned this was gonna go, Lord. It's not like Pharaoh just said, okay. No, he says he has no reverence for Yahweh. He has no indication of any kind of a, hey, I wanna, I wanna help this group of people. Why? We're gonna see in a moment. He's, he's really burdened about losing his labor force. But in a sense, Pharaoh's world is defined primarily by Pharaoh. If you were king of Egypt at that time, you were believed to be kind of king of the whole earth. What you said goes. Pharaoh does what Pharaoh wants, when Pharaoh wants, and how Pharaoh wants. He has a reverence for other gods and goddesses of the Egyptian pantheon, but they pretty much all bow down to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's world is defined by capital P, Pharaoh, and here, 80-year-old Moses, 83-year-old Aaron, not the most convincing visual in front of you. You know, like, these guys didn't look like they're really going to take over the kingdom here, and they're, they're saying, hey, you need to release several hundred thousand of your labor force so we can go off and worship Yahweh, the one true God. Pharaoh's not feeling it. Verse 4, the king of Egypt says to him, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. Here's the new work order. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But Verse 8, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Verse 9, make the work harder for them so that they may keep working and pay no attention to lies. So not only does Pharaoh say, I'm really not interested in following whatever obscure plan you've got here, I'm going to use this as a teaching moment. I'm going to make it an, a deterrent for anyone ever to come back to me and ask such a foolish request again. So I'm going to use this set an example. You following? So they're like, hey, we're going to make your workload harder so you never come before me and ask these kinds of things again. So, I mean, Moses, you need a picture of Moses and Aaron looking at each other going, exactly, this is, this, is a, this is a worst case scenario in their mind. And this is how it, it's all unfolding. Now look, verse 19, here we go. The Israelite foreman. So picture Moses and Aaron now running into the foreman on the factory floor. How's that interaction going to go? Here you go. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. Verse 20, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. <laughs> you have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Translated, Moses, if you would have just kept your mouth shut, we wouldn't be in this mess. That's what they're saying. Hey, if you just kept your mouth shut, we wouldn't be in this mess. So here's... The people crying out to Moses, who started all this? And then Moses crying out to God, who started all this? This is the sequence here, follow now verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord, and this is where he's crying out to the Lord. I bet he did. I don't imagine this was a tough day for Moses to be praying. 
He's probably, oh Lord, where else is he gonna go? Go fall on his knees, cry out to God. Moses returns to the Lord and says, oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Anybody been there? So here, here Moses got clear marching orders through a burning bush. We called it the dignity of responsibility, that God still calls us in and to be a part of what he's doing in this world. It's an unbelievable dignity that he gives his people, that the primary way God gets his work done in this world is through his people. Moses, I'm calling you in to get some work done for me. And Moses finally starts stepping out and agreeing to the plan, and he starts doing what God's asked him to do, and it's unfolding in a disastrous way. Things are going from bad to worse. And I think this gives us some insight into what, I know for me, years ago, I read a three-word rhythm that Stephen Bauman wrote in his book, Possible. And he said, he called it kind of a rhythm to the God-guided life. And I put the three words in your notes. If you haven't pulled out your notes, go ahead and do that. You can fire them up on the app as well. Here are the three words to kind of guide us through today. Glimpse, descent, breakthrough. It's kind of a three-word rhythm to the God-guided life. Glimpse. The glimpse window is, is, is Moses standing in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. It's God peeling back the curtain and saying, hey, I've got a, you're going to get a window into something God wants you to do, a nudge from the Holy Spirit, a vision about what's next, some burden, some calling, saying, hey, you need to step out and step up into something here. It's a glimpse. Moses, Exodus 3. Just doing his normal everyday life, it might not be as dramatic as a fuelless fire in a burning bush, but your own personal burning bush moment. And then break, or then descent usually follows that. Descent is, as you begin to step out and step into something that God's leading you into, often the path takes some turns you never imagined them taking. It gets more complicated and difficult and messy than you ever thought it was going to be. You're Moses going to Pharaoh, Pharaoh making the workload harder. The foremen are now turning on you. So the Israelite community's turning against him. Pharaoh's turning against him. And he's standing in the middle saying, God, I'm just trying to do what you asked me to do. It's getting diff- It's the descent season. So question, is Moses where God wants him to be? Yes. Is Moses doing what God wants him to do? Yes. Is Moses being faithful? Is he in the center of God's will? Doing God's work, God's way for God's glory? Yes. And he's on a steady downward slope from bad to worse. That's descent. That's why if you haven't noticed with God, top shelf, a top shelf priority is not safety, comfort, and convenience with God. Have you noticed this in a life with God? If you're trying to harvest safety, comfort, and convenience out of your relationship with Christ, let me just encourage you to say, you're working on very secondary issue. God's got primary issue. A much better picture of you in step with God's spirit is glimpse, descent, breakthrough. Not safety, comfort, and convenience. Descent, and we'll get into wise in just a minute, but follow me here in the story. So Moses gets a glimpse in Exodus 3, and he's on a steady downward descent in Exodus 5 and 6 here. Exodus 4 is when he finally gets to step into it, but 5 and 6 is when things begin to unravel. And then for those who persevere through the descent and in the descent, breakthrough comes. And hallelujah when breakthrough comes. And we'll get to those parts of the story coming up. But glimpse, descent, Breakthrough. You can be smack dab in the center of God's will. 
doing God's work, God's way, for God's glory, and the commentary is things are going circumstantially from bad to worse. Maybe the team's unraveling, maybe the vision isn't unfolding like you dreamed it would be. You had a picture of how it was gonna go, and it's like 180 degrees than what you thought it was gonna be, or you were really concerned about stepping into it and all your worst nightmares are coming to fruition. That's Moses. He went through all these scenarios in his head already and it's like following out, just like he envisioned that thing was gonna go. It's gonna be a disaster. That's why he didn't wanna do it. Find someone else to do it. You can be right in the middle of God's will and be right on the downward descent slope. So I got a little visual of this personally during our sabbatical season. Here's a picture of one of the favorite views that Kendra and I had. We celebrate our 25th anniversary this summer and we got to go to Hawaii, to the big island, to the city of Kona. This was the view off of our balcony. Very similar to what we look at in the back of Royal Run, out the back of our place there, and out, you know, just right out the backyard there. It was a beautiful view and our routine would be we'd sit on the back balcony and we'd have lunch or breakfast out there and we'd watch the boogie boarders and surfers would come out because they knew the, the wave, they monitored it, they knew at the right time for them to come out and there'd be between eight and 10 footers that would come in and we'd watch them ride them and they'd do crazy flips and spins and it was a lot of fun to watch them. Well, towards the end of the week, I was sitting there and there was an exceptionally large number of waves coming and the surfers were really descending on it and I saw this dad go out there and he looked about my age, maybe a little younger and he had like a, a younger child, look maybe six or seven year old son on the board with him and he goes out and he's taking his young son out and he's catching these eight and 10 foot waves and he's riding them in such a way that they barely look like they're getting wet. And I'm watching it, and I just have to confess to you, that was my glimpse moment. I got a glimpse. I turned to Kendra, I said, honey, I'm grabbing that boogie board that was here in the condo. I'm putting on my flippers. I'm gonna go ride that wave. If that dad with that young son can do that. Now, I grew up in Iowa, <laughs> and then I moved to Indiana. Are you with me? So the concept of a big body of water is like Eagle Creek, you know? So don't have a ton of experience on the boogie board, period, let alone riding any wave eight to 10 feet. So I, I get all of it on. Kendra shoots me the look that's, I don't think this is a really good idea look. Anybody had those before? Dad's husbands, I think you've seen that one before with me. I shot her the return look slash response that says, honey, just grab your cell phone because Papa Simp is gonna turn into Papa Surf right before your eyes. It's gonna be epic right up in here now. You're just gonna sit out there and you just, I need you to record this. We cannot lose this moment. So I stroll down there. By the time I get all my gear on and get down to the beach, the dad and son are gone, which should have been my first uh, clue. But there was still one surfer kind of out in the larger wave section. And so I tried to do real casually, you know, I tried to get the, the surf paddle. You know, I'd watched enough movies to know kind of how that was supposed to go. So I'm kind of on my, on my boogie board. And I'm just laying there and I'm trying to paddle out, not like I'm a true rookie. You know, like when the waves come up, you know how they just kind of roll over those waves and sometimes they duck dive under them. You know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to do all that stuff, you know, because I'm coming out there to hang with the bros, the surfer bros out there. So I get out there close to this one guy who looks clearly like he knows what he's doing because I watched him ride. They go like 30 to 40 yards in. So if you catch it, you got a 30 to 40 yard ride in before you're deposited on some really sharp lava rocks. 
So I watched him take it, and he just took it. Oh, he rode that in so nice. And I came out, and I met him up out in the waves, and I said, hey, could you give me a couple tips? I'm kind of new at this. <laughs> he looks at me. True story. First words out of his mouth. He says, I'll make a deal with you. Okay? He says, you teach me how to read the Bible, and I'll teach you how to surf. Are you kidding me? I'm in the middle of the ocean outside the coast of Hawaii, hanging out here with a surfer guy. The first thing he says to me, you teach me how to read the Bible. I never met this guy before. And I'll teach you how to catch a wave. <laughs> oh, I was laughing. Kendra's just up there on the balcony with her video camera watching this whole exchange. Got no idea why this is taking so long out here. But so I'm, I'm laying out there. I said, deal. He said, really? I said, yeah. He goes, he goes, you know a little bit about the Bible? I said, a little bit. I said, I'm a pastor. And he stopped right there and he just got these eyes like so big. And he turned into this like surfer worship chorus thing going on out here in the waves. Like, oh my gosh, we've got a pastor out here in the ocean. These waves are going to be unbelievable. It's about to get epic up in here. These waves are going to roll. He's calling out to his buddies like, come ride the waves with this pastor. It's unbelievable. God has descended on Kona today. I'm like, oh my Lord, I'm just trying to learn how to boogie board. <laughs> oh. So this is all going on out there in the waters. <laughs> so he says, we're going out deeper now. I'm like, okay, bro, I'm with you. And I'm just paddling out deeper. We're going to catch it. And I'm laying out there. And you know, I'm trying to get that posture, how they get that right on the board. And they're just out there kind of chilling and talking. And they're looking out. And he's trying to teach me how to read the ocean. Okay. And then he turns and he says, hey, you see that pile of lava rocks over there? Whatever you do, you can't go there. Got it, got it, see it. So he says, turn your board around. And he gave me some tips like how to steer on the boogie board like this. And he's like, you know, lean into it this way and put your elbows here and all this. You know, he's, he's coaching me up and all. But he turns my board around. He says, oh, Pastor Eric, there's one coming. It's going to be perfect for you now, perfect. And he says, wait, wait, wait. And he goes, okay, kick, kick, kick. And I'm kicking for all the daylights. And I missed this first wave. And literally, I just went, this is when my descent started. This wave just takes me and flips me and swallows me and spins. I come up, I'm looking for my boogie board, I'm looking for air, I'm looking for where I am and the shore. I come up out of that and he goes, and I'm just like, he goes, no worries, no worries, we'll catch the next one. I'm like, oh my, 30, no kidding you, 30 straight minutes, that was my descent. Kendra can testify, I'm not showing you any of those videos because there's really nothing to see. All you would see is that wave right there and then you just see my skinny legs like flipping up and spinning around and the board flying up. And so when I looked at the videos later, Kendra had like 20 straight 10 second videos. And it was just like, okay, this could be it. And then she'd be like, ooh. <laughs> I was like, ooh. For like a half an hour and I'm getting borderline exhausted now. So I say to him, I say, hey, I don't know about this. Yeah, no, no, no. He's like, stay with me. Stay with me now. So I go, okay, I got one more in me. I got one more. So he takes me out, gets me in this sweet spot. He goes, now, we're right on the edge here. Like, the reason I didn't take you over here before is it's really easy to get sucked into the lava rocks right here. Like, okay, okay. But he says, I really think this is your spot. You're going to catch it. So I get there, and then he says, and here it comes. And this had one of those waves, and it had like ride or die written on it. 
This thing was epic big. Check it out. What do you think? How do I look? <laughs> That's not quite how Pastor Eric looked on it, but I wanted to get a visual of what breakthrough was supposed to look like in this part of the story. Do we have the audio with this, guys? So this is Laird Hamilton, the professional surfer, riding a, what do they think is a 60 to 70 footer several hundred yards in on what they call a foil border. Check it out, like how he's just, they pulled him out onto it with a jet ski. That shows you how you ride one of those waves. I give you that visual to say, that's what breakthrough looks like. When God sends a kind of wave into your life, and you're at the complete mercy of that kind of a wave to the point, right, you see him, he catches the rope behind the jet ski and the jet ski then pulls him back around. That's the only way you could get into those kind of waves. I at least had enough smarts not to try that stupid thing, right? <laughs> I'm just in the way junior class version, you know, with the little minnows and that, you know. So that one wave did come. True story now, the last wave did come. It was only about a 10-footer and it had ride or die on it. And I kicked it just the right time, and oh my goodness, I caught it just right. And the guy's yelling, yeah, Pastor Eric, ride it out. And then he starts yelling, dismount, dismount, bail. Like the wave, all I could see was mainly white because the wave is swallowing me while it's carrying me. And then I'm looking up and I'm seeing the dark lava get closer and closer and closer. Bail out, bail out. And all I could do at the very last minute, I just kind of rolled off my board that way. And all I feel on the edge of my back was just a little light touch of the top of those lava rocks. And then the waves settle down, and I get up like this, and the guy's like, wow! And I'm, I'm looking up there at Kendra. By now, she bailed on doing any of the video at this point. <laughs> I can't even show you that one because we don't even have it. We've just got a half an hour's worth of complete descent. But a little miniature breakthrough came. Glimpse, descent, breakthrough. I believe you can put yourself in one of those three places at any point in our lives. I believe every single one of us here is in one of those spots or maybe right in the transition point between them. Like Moses, getting a glimpse, dignity of responsibility. Join me in leading these people out of Egyptian slavery. Okay, descent. Pharaoh makes the job even harder. The Israelite foremen are turning against me. Why'd you call me into this? Why'd I say yes to this? What am I doing? And I want you to watch now in chapter six. Here's kind of the danger of some things that happen in, in the descent. Chapter six, <clears throat> verse one. Then the Lord says to Moses, God steps into the descent with Moses. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Jump down to verse six. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I, I want you to underline all the I wills if you got your Bible in front of you there. Underline all these I wills. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from 
being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with many acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. You see, this is another one of those lessons in role clarification for Moses again, right? Remember how last week we had this? Role clarification. You see how God's just saying, hey, Moses, let's reset again the roles here. Your role is to do what you're doing. Deliver the message, be my conduit, lead the people. My role, I will step in and convince Pharaoh to loosen his grip and let him go. And Moses, I'm not particularly disturbed about Pharaoh's response. Moses, I'm not really shocked by, I'm not surprised. If you're sovereign and you're all-knowing, you're not really surprised. God knows what's going on, and he's not disturbed about how they've responded. He's gonna work right through it. Moses, I'm with you, and notice he's still on plan A. Notice this isn't deterred God's plan. Like Moses' excuses didn't deter him. Pharaoh's response didn't deter him. The Israelite foreman's rebellion didn't deter him. God's like, hey, this is how this is gonna go. You're gonna eventually possess the land. You're gonna lead the people to freedom. I will do it. Seven I wills. I will free you. I will lead you. I will come through for you. I will move that mountain. I will part those waters. I will do this. Are we clear, Moses? I am the great I am. You are the small I, small A, small M. The I am not. And you're just a part of this story. Let's keep the role straight here. And here's what I've learned through the journey, which begs the question, right? Look at, verse, look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites. You'd think he'd be excited now. He's like, he's gonna deliver this message. Can you picture it? That's one of those sermons. You're like, I can't wait to tell the people this one. God's gonna come through for us. God's gonna deliver us. God hasn't given up on us. I know your workload is awful right now, but Moses reports to the Israelites. But look at this. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bonding. That's one of the things we battle in the descent. We have to battle through discouragement when we're on the downward slope from bad to worse. Because you can get so caught up in how things are not unfolding like you hoped, prayed, planned, and dreamed that you'll bail and you won't persevere in the descent. Here's a good indication of a fuelless fire ignited in your heart or not. If there's a fuelless fire ignited in your heart, then there will be perseverance in the descent. If it's really self-driven, self-centered, a little too much of us in there, maybe not as God-led, you're probably bailing in the descent. Are you tracking with me? In this case, there's plenty of reasons for Moses and Aaron to be bowing out of the equation, but because this isn't their initiative, this isn't their story, this isn't their fire, it's God's fire, there's gonna be perseverance in the descent. Even the discouragement that piles on, they'll persevere through that. Have you ever been to those places where you get so discouraged into the descent, it's like a cloud and you lose sight of the original glimpse God had given you? I've been there. Which begs the question, does it not? You say, well, why not? Lord, why not just take us from glimpse to breakthrough? Why make this so hard? Why not just have Pharaoh say, yes, okay, take him and go? Why not have Moses and the Israelites trot right on out of Egypt? Why not have them march the straight line right up to the promised land? Why make the Israelite foreman turn against Moses? Why make this so complicated and difficult and messy? Why does this have to be so hard? Anybody been there? 
because God, I thought, I, I thought I'm standing in the center of your will. I, think I, I thought I was serving you for your purposes and doing what you called me to do and stepping out in your ways. And this is just getting from bad to worse. Lord, why so much dissent? And I think with God, as we'll continue to see with Moses in the weeks ahead, I suspect with God, he's very aware that some things are occurring in the descent that would never occur in glimpse and in breakthrough. I want you to think about your own journey. From my own journey, if, I said, if you ask me, Eric, which one of the three where you've really developed some roots of faith and trust in God, which one of the three do you think? Descent. Where'd you learn how to really persevere in prayer at all in your life? Descent. When did, the, when did there some, some depth get built in some of these trusting God in the question marks and relinquishing control and posture of surrender and not my will but yours be done? Where does that kind of stuff get worked out? Descent. Not that that can't happen in glimpse and breakthrough. I'm just saying the ingredients for are in the, in the real middle one in descent all that soil of uncertainty, you can't develop roots of faith without massive doses of uncertainty. You can't do it. That's why God's always leading us into soil where we can't see how we're gonna get through what we're going through. We don't know where this road is turning. We're not sure what's gonna be around this bend. Why? And we're looking for clarity and God really enjoys the uncertainty with us. Why? Because of all it's building in our hearts and what it's developing in here. You see, let's not forget the bigger picture of the story here. How many eggs does God have in this basket with the Israelites? He's got all his eggs in this basket. What's their role gonna be? They're gonna leave Egypt. They're gonna get to the promised land. And they're gonna, what's their role gonna be? They're to represent him to all the rest of the nations around them. The rest of the world's supposed to look at Israel and say, oh, that's what Yahweh's like. And that's how you live life with him. So hear this now. That's why God isn't just concerned with getting them to the promised land. He is concerned with that. He's heard their cry. He's got a plan. He's working the plan. But hear this now. He's not just concerned with getting them to that promised land. He's concerned with who they will be when they get there. It's the process of being and becoming on the journey is just as important to God as what we're doing in the moment. That's why Moses, Moses, way more going on here with Moses than he realizes. God's like, hey, Moses, I'm working with you. You're gonna join me in this plan. And by the way, even at 80 years old, Moses, you're gonna grow in ways you never imagined growing through glimpse, descent, and breakthrough. We're gonna go on this journey together. And in the descending seasons, there's gonna be some stuff forged in your heart and in your character that just going from glimpse to breakthrough never would bring. So when the breakthrough comes, it tends then to be stewarded well for God's glory because of all that's been cultivated in the descent. It's about developing the kind of people who will handle the positions of leadership and authority. In this case, he's got a lot of responsibility to make sure this nation represents Yahweh well. God's like, I gotta make sure that fort gets held clearly. So I'm gonna take Moses through the ringer so when they get to that place, they're gonna be representing me the way I want them to be representing me when they get to the breakthrough. And this is how Stephen Baum, and I think I put this quote in your notes because I liked it so much I wanted you to have it as well. Listen to what he says. Descents are required to prepare us for greater vision because calling rests first upon our character. Authority to change the world flows first from who we are, not what we say or do. 
What we learn through disappointment, discouragement, or downright disillusionment makes us who we are and gives us the authority to influence change. Sometimes well beyond our dreams, there's purpose, even virtue in our suffering if we're brave enough to accept its wisdom. So welcome to the rhythm of the God-guided life. Glimpse, descent, breakthrough. And as we wrap up this morning, I simply wanna ask you to maybe identify where would you find yourself in the storyline with Moses right now? Worship team, why don't you come on back up? Maybe you're in Exodus three. You think you're in Exodus three right now where you're saying, you know what? You're at your own personal kind of burning bush moment where God's stirred some things up. He's given you a glimpse. He's nudging you, prompting you. He's pulling back the curtains on some things and say, take a look. This is where I want to take you. Maybe you're there, Exodus 3. Or maybe you're in Exodus 4. You started to get a glimpse of it, but your response is, Lord, I don't think I can do this. I'm not smart enough, spiritual enough, strong enough. I'm not whatever enough to do this. You've got your four-layer excuse cake. Maybe you're devouring your own four-layer excuse cake right now. Maybe that's where you're at, Exodus chapter 4. Or maybe you're in Exodus 5. Maybe you've begun to step out and to step up into some things that God's called you into and things have just gone from bad to worse and you're battling discouragement and you just can't see through how you're gonna get through this descent. The descent just keeps going down and the turns keep getting more confusing and you're starting to lose sight. Maybe the original glimpse, that's Exodus 5. Or maybe this morning finds you in Exodus 6 where you're hearing very clearly like what Moses got to hear where the Lord steps in and just saying, hey, I just wanna remind you, you're absolutely in a descent, but I'm with you, and I will come through for you. I will move that mountain, I will part those waters, I will come down, I will rescue, we will get through this. It's probably gonna be a lot longer and a lot slower than you envision, but we're gonna get through this. That would be Exodus 6. So if you had to place yourself right now in your own journey, would you put yourself in chapter three, four, five, or six? And no matter where you're at in that storyline, what's one of the dominant themes in all those chapters is the Lord consistently revealing this, I will be with you. And maturity is, that'll be enough. Even if circumstances aren't going like we envision, if God says, I will be there, I will be with you, that'll be enough for me. And that's how I wanna pray for us as we close. Let's pray together. Lord, through every season of life, you're a faithful God. I think there's some that are coming in in chapter three and you've been giving them some glimpse. You're lighting, igniting a fire in their heart. You've been prompting and nudging them by the Spirit. There's some others, Lord, really struggling because they just don't feel like they're gonna be able to come through and do what you're asking them to do and feeling really inadequate. And then maybe some others just overwhelmed with how confusing the journey has turned and how the circumstances haven't unfolded anything like they thought. There's just been so much dissent that just kind of been clouded and lost the original glimpse. And right now, Lord, I just pray that 
by your spirit, you just be able to remind us all again, wherever we are in the journey, whether in glimpse or descent or breakthrough, that you said you would be with us and as a body, as individuals and collectively together, may that be enough for us. Thank you for inviting us in to the dignity of responsibility. There's nothing else we'd rather do with our one and only life than join you in what you're doing in this world, even if it's really hard. In Jesus' name.